you're tuning in to this podcast is a bad idea your one-stop shop for pop culture quirks i'm fru he's murph and every episode we have a new selection of goodies to discuss on the agenda and today's main topic is going to be video game high school so what's your podcast about? You're listening to... You're listening to... This is a bad idea. It's a bad idea. I still think this is a bad idea. Okay, Fru, I have a pitch for a sketch on classic show Sesame Street. Be gentle with me. It's been a long time since okay. we've recorded. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. So so you got you got Bert and Ernie. Okay. And I, I don't know him. what the setup's going to be, but Bert has been invited to a, like a party, a social event. And he's like, I I don't know what to do at, at a party. I've never had to talk to that many people before. And and Ernie's just like, well, Bert, you'll talk about your interests. Okay. 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 And, and so, so Bert, you know, Bert's interests are pigeons, right? I, I believe I'm remembering that correctly. I think so. So he gets he gets an idea of maybe he'll show off one of his prized pigeons, like a big pigeon. Is that how they're quantified as like valuable if they're big? If for the con for the for the circumstances of this sketch, yes. Okay. He has a, he has a big pigeon, and he he dresses it up in a little top hat and a bow tie, and he brings it to the party, and it, it's a big hit. But the issue is, is okay. that the pigeon is more popular than Bert. Oh. And it starts to leave him. <gasps> and so, so Bert's, you know, feeling sad and he like goes, goes off to the corner to be, you know, to be a wallflower. And then like, then the light hits him. Okay. And he goes, that's me in the corner. Stop! That's me in the spotlight. <laughs> Losing my big pigeon. I've been bamboozled into a punchline. <laughs> but it would work, right? It would. It would in the in the parlance of Sesame Street, that would absolutely fly. Like a big pigeon. Like a big pigeon. <laughs> like a big pigeon. <laughs> Alright. Well, that's Welcome what you've to been the- up to. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. We call that a cold open. <laughs> well, <laughs> I see you've been very busy the past couple months, obviously. Um it's been it's been a uh, 2023 has been a dense year and the end of summer start of fall has been the densest. There's so much in such little time. Here, just cards on the table. Our topic this week is video game high school. Yeah. And um, the reason this episode has taken so long to come out is that that watching that series physically hurt me. Oh, and we're going to get into that, I guess. And it, to such a degree that I binged the entirety of Venture Bros and read all of Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Before I would watch the last three episodes of Video Game High School. (laughs) I'm so excited to dig into our different approaches because I began the series and re-binged it from the beginning over the past week and a half. 
Mm. Yeah. So it's very fresh in my mind. But mm-hmm, again, mm-hmm. we'll get there. We'll get there, dear listener. Yeah, but I, uh, I I wanted to talk about the aforementioned League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes, how um, was that? Forever. It's... I Alan Moore is an interesting writer. That's an he understatement, has, yes. He has ideas in <laughs> concepts. The issue is, I just don't think he writes good characters or plots. That's very funny of you to say. <laughs> Because for reasons we'll get to. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but I always wanted to read all of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because I I like the movie. I think the movie's underappreciated. I don't remember much of the movie. I just there's I, I feel like there's a there, there's high points. So so tell me more. Okay. So. So, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen split up into, like, five volumes. Okay. Eight, if you count, like, a miniseries he did uh, about Nemo's daughter, Captain Nemo's daughter. Mm. But, it, for those who don't know, basic premise is it, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen's sort of, like, a Victorian literature Avengers. It's Alan Quartermain, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, Mina Harker from Dracula, the Invisible Man, and Captain Nemo. And it's set in a world where all fiction is canon, okay. and that's sort of the that's sort of the meat of the actual comics mm-hmm. is that it's very meticulously put together. It's like okay, in a world where all fiction is canon, uh, what does that look like? What does the geography of the world look like? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, there's volume two ends with this very dense thing called the new travelers almanac, which is just an atlas of this world. And Mm. it's things like there's the castle from Franz Kafka's the castle, which is right next door to Frankenstein's castle. Um, just a street full of castles. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's (laughs) Toyland from babes in Toyland, which is watched over by, uh, Frankenstein's monster. And his wife Olympia, mm. uh, from um, Metropolis. <laughs> okay. There's Babar the elephant. <gasps> his kingdom is right next to Colonel Kurtz's camp from Heart of Darkness. I don't like that geography. Cause Kurtz was an ivory dealer. Oh, I like that even less. <laughs> and so, and it's not just like everything's canon, but it's also he does a lot of certain characters are other characters mm-hmm. like uh the the Virginia Wolf's Orlando which is the story about this immortal soldier that changes gender every 100 years the original story is set starts in the 1700s and ends in like 1936 mm-hmm. before the second world war uh Moore takes Orlando and pushes them further back in time to Greek period and they fight in the uh, Trojan War alongside Achilles and they also go to uh with Aeneas to found London where they fight uh the giants and stuff like that and it's just like and then they become uh Roland, Knight of Charlemagne, who is also another legendary character. They get Excalibur. They they bang Merlin the wizard. Mm-hmm. And it's just like 
it's just this continuous continuity of just saying, yes, if this is canon, then this is canon. If this, if these two things are canon, then this must have happened. Oh my and God. that is the interesting bit of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, especially once it pushes out of the Victorian era and into more modern times where, you know, more sort of says, all right, what did we change our Alan Quartermains, our, our Van Helsing's out for? And it's like in the in the 30s and 60s, it's like we got more science-based heroes. We got secret agents and the like. And then the later half, we got superheroes. And sort of working with whatever's in the public domain. To an extent, mm-hmm. um, the villain of the third volume and the final volume is a secret agent oh. named Jimmy. Okay. Who you, who's likes martinis, shaken not stirred. And has a variety of gadgets and works for British intelligence. Okay. But we don't know Jimmy's last name. Of course. <laughs> but, you know. Pretty pretty easy to draw connections there. He's part of the B series of agents. And that's another funny bit in the final volume where it's like, there's there's Jimmy and then all the agents that he trained, which are all designed to look like different James Bond actors. You know. Okay. So there's the Daniel Craig Bond and the Sean Connery Bond, and also Austin Powers is canon, as well as the time uh, Woody Allen played James Bond. <laughs> okay. So, with it's that in mind, complex. yes, it's it's. I don't like the stories or characters so much of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but as a writing exercise, it's very fascinating. Yeah, I could definitely see it on that front. Like, it feels like something that you would do just to, like, strengthen your creativity. Yes. It's also the thing he went out on. Uh, The last volume of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is basically, like, his, like, magnum opus will and testament. Aw. And it's it's intercut with um, interstitials of him shitting on Stan Lee (laughs) for screwing him over in the entire comics industry. Oh my god. But what I want to really talk about is the third volume. Mm -hmm. Technically the fourth, but they don't count Black Dossier for, I don't know. Uh, But volume three, Century. And I just, the villain of that book is the Antichrist. Okay. And I want to play a game with you. Yeah, I'm going to play a game with you where I'm just going to describe the events, more or less. And I want you to chime in when you think you know who the Antichrist is. <laughs> okay. So. Right now, I just want to make a wild guess. And I want to, I want you to tell me how how close I am. Is it Ronald Reagan? No. Dang it. No, okay. you're off. Okay. 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 Okay, I'm ready. So, okay, so is it's called Century because it takes place over a century. Okay. Um, it begins with the characters. Oh, it's also a musical, but that's not important. Wait, so it's a. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> just go, just go. Begin- the first volume, the first chapter is based on Three Penny Opera. That's okay. why that's important. And uh, the League of that time period begins searching for Oliver Haddo, a character from a novel known as The Magician who's an occultist and he's has this like underground cult and Mycroft Holmes wants the league to investigate it because one of their members, uh, 
Karnaki, the mentalist, is having these dreams of an Antichrist being born. They seek out Oliver Haddo, and Oliver Haddo's like, I didn't really have an idea for making an Antichrist, but thanks for giving me the idea. I'm going to move forward with that. Okay. And so he seeks to make a moon calf, which is a term from a short horror story about an Antichrist called a moon calf, whatever. Okay. Um, Okay. They manage to kill him, but... uh, in 1969, he comes back as a ghost trying to possess um, Mick Jagger. Okay. <laughs> but not Mick Jagger. Okay. He's he's the lead singer of Purple Orchestra, which is a reference to a movie Mick Jagger was in called Possession. Oh. Which is about a Rolling Stones-type band getting with the lead singer getting possessed by a sorcerer mm-hmm. and going on a killing spree. It's a very weird movie. But, oh. uh but chapter two is based off the discography of the Rolling Stones, and he is trying to, in, in possessing this person, or he's attempting to possess Mick Jagger, uh, while he's performing a tribute at Hyde Park, which is named after Mr. Hyde in this universe. Okay. And the League gets there to stop them, and Mina Harker, who's sort of the main character default of the entire series goes there and trips on acid and meets a man who's named Thomas, mm-hmm. whose middle name is a marvel and his last name is a conundrum. Okay. And he uh, and, and Mina engages in a psychic acid battle with Oliver Haddo, causing him to actually accidentally land in this fella named Thomas. And they don't know what happened. Mina gets taken off to a psych ward. Um, and Thomas says he's going to go back to his job where he teaches at a very private school up north. And he heads to, goes to board a train at King's Cross Station. Volume 3, which is set in 2009. Oh, that's a jump. <laughs> yes. They managed to get Mina out of the mental ward. And she's like, I think I know where Oliver Haddo is. And I think he's already made his Antichrist. Okay. Uh. And so they they track down where this Thomas fellow went, and they go to King's Cross Station, and they walk through a wall and board a a a train, okay, and ride it up north. They see the decaying corpse of Thomas the Tank Engine, okay, <laughs> um, and they find a a destroyed castle. All right, where we are shown a. <laughs> Go ahead. A a flashback (laughs) of the Antichrist going on a rampage, which is made to look like Columbine. Wow. Not (laughs) not great. Not great, Alan. (laughs) Um, So the Antichrist is Harry Potter. (laughs) That's exactly what I was going to ask, but I was like, good God. (laughs) So Um, how did you enjoy that? It was so... I knew it going in. Okay. But it's such a because the entire time I'm kind of like, what are you, what are you saying, Alan? Exactly, like you know, what what are you trying to, to say? do this? Based to do this in 2009 before everyone hated J.K. Rowling, but that's yeah, that's the crazy part. Is like back in 2009, the only people who hated Harry Potter were evangelical Christians. Yeah, and it's like. It's not exactly like his take is that Harry Potter is bad, I guess. Like, he's gotten in interviews and being like, no, that that wasn't what I was saying at all. (laughs) Where he's more like, it's just the idea is very unoriginal. 
because is while it... they're doing that that bit going through the decayed ruins of Hogwarts, it's like has all these other references to other stories pre Harry Potter about magical schools and boy wizards and things. Sure, and that's been a regular that that was a a regular critique of the series before uh, J.K. showed her ass to the world. Also, and so the Antichrist Harry Potter is killed uh, by Mary Poppins, who is also God. Uh, but before before that happens, Harry Potter kills Alan Quartermain with a lightning bolt shot out of his dick. And what I'm all I'm saying sounds so interesting, dear listener. I'm sure, but you got to go through like <laughs> the rest of the series to get to there. I and it's I promise you it's not as interesting as it probably sounds. I feel a little exhausted just hearing this. Yeah. And that's just volume 1. Oh my uh, god. I will vouch for the Nemo trilogy because that's Nemo versus Adenoid Hinkle from Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator who is Hitler in this universe. Yeah, I was Okay, okay. Yeah, no, see that does sound instantly more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> But I just wanted to share that with uh, with those that didn't know. <laughs> the thing is, Daniel Radcliffe would play that. He would. He absolutely would. He would play it now. But it sounds like you've been uh, spending your time wisely, whereas I haven't been. I mean, end of summer just brings so much malaise. Mm-hmm. Murph, do you ever do you ever lurk on any discords? No, I'm not really. Uh, Discord is primarily just like a, uh, just keep in contact with internet friends sort of things. I don't go to discords that have, like, I don't know, a purpose. Yeah, like yeah. Fandom discords and things, except when I need, like, emotes. Yeah. Like, when I when I was finding myself lacking Kingdom Hearts emotes, you I joined do- the Kingdom Hearts Discord. Sometimes I find myself in Discord servers, like, as Patreon bonuses. Mm, yeah you know like oh you get i, free I have access. those nestled in a folder exactly i'm just like well it's just good to know that i have a resource here if i ever need more information on these niche interests of mine but mm-hmm. one day um you may recall that maybe you don't recall ao3 has gone down a couple times this summer mm-hmm. and the first I have, time i have seen people freaking out about that the first time ao3 went down was for like a day and a half it was pretty long it was a little surprising. And in the wake of that, I got a TikTok on my For You page that was, um, come join our server. It's the, like, it, it was like a, let, let's do Fic Rex and we'll have like a writer's room. And it was like these grand plans for a huge mm-hmm. AO3 Discord. And I'm going to do this as diplomatically as possible because God forbid someone for some reason is listening and feels bad that I'm sharing this. All everything I'm about to share was public knowledge at some point. Because what I'm about to share with you, a lot of this has actually been expunged from the server entirely. <laughs> but I've been lurking here just in case. You have the receipts. I have the receipts because I knew I needed to get them in case something got nuked. But mm-hmm. I do keep the pings on. I usually mute most of these discords. I keep, I, I, I usually keep like an announcements channel open, right? So I can get notifications in case anything big happens. This server, I swear to God, pinged me every other day with just the most benign server-wide yeah, announcements. That's, 
That's how you get the mute from me. Like, <laughs> I was really considering it. But there would be, like, highlights back in the beginning of, guys, we're growing really fast. Um, Real quickly, don't lie about your age to get in the not safe for work servers, like, channels <laughs> on the server. Or even, okay. like, reminders of um, minors. You should never share photos in, like, never share photos of yourself in the server. Mm-hmm. Just t- hilarious things where I'm like, you know, I'm just going to stick around. I'm going to stick around and see what happens. Yeah, if you don't have these safeguards in place beyond gentle reminders... Yeah. ...then you haven't really built a safety network for... Yes. <laughs> um, but last week, I got the funniest one so far, and it's been a conundrum, to say the least, where we got a ping, and this is the this is the message after the fallout, right? Where the Mm -hmm. owner of the Discord, where again, I'm going to do this really diplomatically. I'll just refer to them as the owner. I won't put any like screen names or anything. But this is a full explanation and apology. Please read. At around 2 a.m. last night, I received an email detailing that this server had been removed from Discovery. We were removed from Discovery for breaking guideline three. Do not host graphic or sexual content. I saw this email at around 6 o- 6.05, my time, and immediately sent it to the mod chat to deal with when discussing solutions. One of the solutions that came up was removing all not safe for work content. I didn't feel like this was a good idea, but I wanted to know what the adults of the server thought. In the following hour, I made a new channel and sent a ping detailing the situation. It was meant to get insight from people. Now, to make this channel work, I set it for adults only, as the minors don't need to know and still don't need to know about this situation. (laughs) I didn't set a cooldown time, as I was getting ready for school, and I was unable to properly mod this channel or even explain. I apologize for uh, for that, and it is entirely my fault. I should have installed a cooldown and waited for a more appropriate time to send that message. Unfortunately, hindsight is twenty twenty. We did not set this channel as not safe for work, so those with Discord ages under 18 and without the not safe for work role could view it given that they had the adult role. As the messages and responses piled up, we decided that instead of screenshotting the responses and relying on two to four mods to give us the info, we would allow minors to temporarily gain the adult role. They couldn't access any other channels, only that one. No minors were in adult spaces apart from that channel. It was not even an adult space as no not safe for work stuff should have been shared. It was a discussion space. This message is out of characters. This will be continued. Please be patient. Wait, so So (laughs) the minors can temporarily gain the adult role to, to what? To see what they're missing or... That was my that was my impression was that this blew up really fast. People were like, "Well, why can minors do this? Why were they allowed into these adult spaces? Oh my god, what is going on? This is really like not safe for adults or for minors. Like these spaces have to be really separate. Yeah. Like people are freaking out." Um the number one <laughs> response is the um it's a Gru face that's been titled "You did what?" <laughs> In this yeah, server. Yeah, I know that meme. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's number one. But um, something in that some something in there caught my attention. And we're going and that was as I was getting ready for school. That could have mm-hmm. been uni, obviously. Mm-hmm. That that could have been uni. But I'm going to sum this up really quick. 
In order to respond to this, they decided that they were going to make another separate channel on the server called Complain. Oh, that should go well. Oh, it went so well. And that was where I had it confirmed for me that the owner of this Discord server that had Not Safe for Work channels was a miner. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I was like, I need to leave. I need to stop. I need to get out of here. This isn't okay. But this is my favorite part. Because I don't want to sound like, of course, the number one thing that we do not want to do uh, is bully children. That's like not called for. That's not needed. What I'm wondering is why the owner of this discord was allowed to make this statement, (laughs) which was. Was there anyone as part of, I don't know, the mod staff who was an adult? A lot of mods apparently are, but we only have, like, we can only only go off of their word. So, like, the owner was a child, and some of the original mods were also children. But, um, another ping was, I understand the concern that minors were in adult spaces, and as the staff, we try our hardest to make sure that isn't the case. Okay, so, to get a perspective, I'm not looking for anything (laughs) levacious here, but how, how adult was the adult channel? Not, I mean, like, it really just seemed like, you know, when you usually, I'm very used to this because on I've been in Discord. Like, not on the Citrus, okay. I've always considered it, like, adult swim. Like, kids okay. not allowed in the pool. Like, it's yes. really just, like, jacuzzi talk. How are you doing? We're allowed to talk about beer in here. Yes. It, it's okay. kind of just like, that's, when I am in spaces where minors are allowed, I don't even like to be in the general chat. It's just weird for me because I also don't like talking to kids. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm going to, like, I don't want to become friends with kids. <laughs> I yeah. don't want that to be mm-hmm. an accident that happens. So I like to stick yeah. to adult spaces. But mm-hmm. my favorite, favorite part. That, again, the owner was allowed to make this statement, so I'm thinking that this didn't go through any sort of checking. Was, we the staff did not handle the situation the best we could. We apologize. But some of you did not handle this well either. It was both sides that were in the wrong here. (laughs) Both sides being the... (laughs) The server at large. And in the mods that allowed this to happen, I yo, you guys shouldn't have had you... <laughs> like this is like people are starting to like respond with tomatoes, yeah, <laughs> I was just losing I... it, oh, oh, it's so good, and everyone was like, "Hey, why is your apology not an apology?" And the owner's like, look, some apologies come with a but. Okay, I'm sorry, but I thought I would explain the staff's thoughts on this situation. We're genuinely sorry about the entire situation and how we handled it. You guys can say, but using buts is not an apology. We know we wanted to explain our thoughts. If I had just said, this is what, this is where we fucked up. Sorry. You would have asked why. (laughs) And you would have asked us to explain. We're sorry that we cannot do a perfect apology. We are not robots. We have our own ideas in mind. (laughs) This is at the point where in the complaint channel, the owner starts telling people, I cannot make myself into an adult magically. If you don't like it, you need to leave. (laughs) I. (laughs) 
as of today, the not safe for work chats have been nuked. This complaint channel has been nuked and the original channel that had been made to share this news has been nuked. High school fan fiction writers have so much confidence. They really do. They write some of the best fanfic out there, but they also do not know how to organize and like properly mod a Discord server. That's just the yes. harsh truth of it. That you is really a different need people with expert. Like you really need people with expertise to help you with this. Mm. In the Fallout, of course, as usual, there was a reaction. In um, I'm gonna make my own. Adults only AO3 Discord, um, come join it. <laughs> Where mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. are very slowly growing and updating people as needed on, hey, we put together a mod team. We had a discussion on rules and expectations and how we're going to play in the Discord. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm also now following that also for the T as this progresses, if anything. But that's what I've been doing. <laughs> Okay, well the the tea is 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 hot. It seems. <laughs> I man, I don't have much reaction to any of that. That's so outside my purview of what I do on the internet. It's. <laughs> I'm here for the gossip. That's what I want. I'm in your walls. I... <sighs> There's definitely a feeling of. Because I do remember going on, like, forums for <laughs> Zoo Tycoon 2 or, mm-hmm. or Spore and, mm-hmm. and saying with great confidence, like, I'm I'm 12 years old <laughs> and thinking they would respect me <laughs> after, you know. <laughs> as long as I talk like the big boys, then I am a big boy. <laughs> I mean, that was me too, or it was like... I'm 15 and people think that's cool. They didn't think it was cool for a good reason. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I shouldn't have been there. <laughs> yeah. That was an adult You're so space. mature for your age. Uh... <laughs> well, Murph, have you been up to anything else interesting? Hopefully less gossipy. <laughs> I just want to briefly talk about Tiny House Hunters. Um, this, this is a show... Uh, that I watch when I need an emotional reset. <laughs> like in a Because good it way. drives me crazy. <laughs> it drives me so crazy. Is it like the epitome I, of like, oh, I have a budget of $20,000, but also I need like a full-size washer and dryer? Yes. Yes. It's it's people. Most of the episodes are like either couples or, or single Right, college students and like I need to downsize and get a more affordable home and it's like honey that home's $50,000 you can get an apartment yeah and it's and and it will always be like take a drink every time they're like oh it's it's really small though not a lot of space for storage it's a tiny home (laughs) but but one episode broke me okay um it's season three it's titled military family goes tiny oh no Oh so no. So this is a family with a, a a dad who serves in the military and a mom who uh, does prenatal okay. uh, uh counseling and services. Okay. And they have three boys. Three. Who are, That's a family of five. Wow. No. No wrong. Wrong? So the boys are 8, 7 and 6 years old. Oh no. And they have a 12-year-old daughter. What? Oh no. <laughs> Where does the where's the daughter gonna? Well, she needs room of her own. So they, 
So the, the mom is talking about, like, well, we had this house that was, like, everyone had their own room and, you know, a four-car garage. And we just found we were accumulating stuff. And it was stuff that we were never going to use, and it just got boxed up and put away. Then get rid and of we... the stuff, Shannon! <laughs> <laughs> and we went on this RV trip across America for a month, and it really brought us all together. But... But the moment we got home, everyone sort of just went to their own room. It's really easy to hide away. <laughs> you so know, hostage we... situations also really bring you close together. <laughs> so we need to get a tiny home. No! To bring everyone closer together and to decrease our amount of stuff. <laughs> and they tour three different places. And they settle on a deluxe RV. Where the daughter has a loft <laughs> that she hi- that she- that has a curtain for a door. Oh boy! And the boys have this contraption in the back. Have I heard of this family before? Hold on, I think I. Oh my god, I'm starting to. <gasps> yes, I've seen similar things. Oh my god, this is just reminding me of like those family vlog channels that give me the ick. So this is. Um, it was originally a one-bed area yeah. in the back of the RV. They converted it into a triple bunk bed. And this is a slide, too. So did they get more floor room? Yes. Well, okay. I guess that's so, something. If you can see how much clearance the boys have for their headspace. And one is on the floor. You can't see the bed of the other one because it's on the floor. You have to, like, crawl in there, I bet. Oh, yes. my gosh! That's terrible! And the dad... I'm going to wager the dad's, like almost like my height you know he's almost he's either six foot or around that range those boys are gonna shoot up yeah you know oh my gosh that's and actually their teenage daughter will hate them every day people, for the rest of her life when they talk about these family vlog channels that are like oh we live in an rv we travel around the country and people are like mm-hmm. this is so close to neglect <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like yeah. one of those family vlog channels was like, oh, my child wants, um, it was so cute. What they wanted for their birthday was to stay in a hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> yeah, so they, dark. yeah, they want to stay in a hotel room. They want like four stationary walls and a roof and a door that closes. <laughs> it's so terrible oh my gosh i think back to like my turbulent teenage years and all i wanted was just like and i did i abused having a door that could close and lock all the time Mm -hmm. oh my gosh those poor children someone help them one of the things i retain from my my degree in communications (laughs) is uh proximity does not actually equal closeness no it doesn't (laughs) Do you think cellmates in prison are BFFs when they get out? <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. So oh so this gosh. drove me crazy. This broke me. And much like the Harry Potter Antichrist, I wanted to share it with you. I appreciate you spreading your misery. <laughs> there's but... a, there's actually... I, I There's one that may be worse, depending on, on your perspective. That's another family of six. Oh, no. But this time, it's three daughters who are older. It gets and, older when you're over the age of 10. It gets worse when you're over the age of 10. And a baby boy. Oh, my gosh! Not <laughs> and an two infant. Dogs. And two dogs. Stop. Oh, my God. 
And it's the same thing of uh, my, the, the mom being like, my family doesn't like spending time with me. <laughs> so I'm going to lock them all in a moving prison. <laughs> oh my God. That's terrible. That's so bad. It's like, you guys, you are not thinking creatively enough. Like, if you want proximity. Get a personality. That's also one thing. Like, learn how to parent. Let's go to family therapy. And then also, like, maybe let's do, like, we're going to camp in the living room once a month. Yeah. Family floor time. Like, let's just hang out. Like, that's just, oh my gosh, try hanging out with your kids. It just, just get rid of your stuff. Just get rid of your stuff. Oh my gosh. Get more interesting stuff that you'll use. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for showing and telling me about this. Do you? Ha- is it time for show and tell then? It's time for show and tell time. <laughs> that was the decompress, by the way. <laughs> show and tell time. I have a really short show and tell. Okay, I have I have a longer one. So you you go first. Okay, okay, I'll go first. So. The show and tell, we've both gone out into the wild and brought back something. Yes. Sight unseen. Sight unseen. And I'm sending Murph a link. This could have gone into wild card for TikTok lessons with Fru, but um, nope, we're doing it this way. Oh, dear. TikTok O'Reilly auto part. Oh, no. Is this what I think it is as I'm opening this? Just, just, just let it happen. Oh, bother. <laughs> Would you like to explain so, for the kids at home what you've just So seen? this is from the official O'Reilly Auto Parts uh, TikTok. Are they local? Are they a uh, national brand? Na- national chain, I'm pretty sure. Okay, so they're known for having a, a very recognizable jingle, which is oh, oh, O'Reilly <laughs> Auto Parts. That's actually pretty accurate. For this TikTok, they have a werewolf. What kind of werewolf? T- a buff monster boy werewolf one could even say an alpha werewolf i'm getting to that (laughs) standing on top of an o'reilly auto parts howling at the moon and they've interlaced wolf howls into the jingle and it says sit back and let your jingle alpha serenade you consumerism's going through a weird phase right now i is this a how do you do fellow kids or is this I can't tell. Like on a scale of like Wendy's. <laughs> mhm. Like we went from like Wendy sassy Twitter to like Duolingo TikTok queen. Yes. We're just in the chaos realm now where now we have O'Reilly auto parts making alpha jokes. Because they're responding to someone, too. They're responding to someone who said, Oh, 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 Riley Auto Parts, ah, woo. (laughs) Oh, it is. It does show that. And I'm like, okay, what was going on here? What made you what made you do that? And I don't want to unpack it. That's the problem is I don't want to unpack it. I don't want to keep going. But some highlights. It's okay. So the. The concept of the O'Reilly Auto Parts jingle done by a werewolf. That is a good Halloween seasonal concept. Sure. The fact that it's a a sexy alpha werewolf and it says, let your jingle alpha serenade you. 
I mean, I don't like the term jingle alpha. <laughs> Someone says this is going to be in advertising classes in the future. Um, OMG, I'm so serenaded, Mr. Alpha O'Reilly, awoo, wolf emoji. Um, what is happening? All caps, crying emoji. Stairs in Gen Z. I will now be going to Riley Auto Parts. You all have convinced me. (laughs) It's... What is this other one they're showing? This guy really loves the jingle, Horace? I, I I don't know. I don't know what else is happening. Is I, O'Reilly Auto Parts in on the memes? Yes. That's, is this yeah. memes? Yeah, no, they're really into memes. Okay. They're every, again, like if you just if you happen to have a social media manager who's really up on TikTok, I think you do have a good possibility of really cranking your like 18 to I, 35 year old demographic. I think with advertisers have really figured out the ironic enjoyment aspect. Yes, because we're really and getting they, into just ironic and chaos. And it's like, oh my, and you know, it gets people saying like, oh my god, look what O'Reilly Auto Parts did. This is so, do they know? Yeah. And like, in that way, they share the advertising. Yes. You are not immune to propaganda, says Garfield. Exactly. Anyways, that's me. Okay. So... <laughs> So last week I had I had a real gym. Not last week, last episode. Which was like gym. a month and a half ago. <laughs> yeah, I had a real gym of a show and tell yes. of of sitcom characters and anime boys. I'm ready. Up. Um I'm gonna say for this one, what I have this week for show and tell is messed up. Oh no. I have something sick and degenerate. Oh no. That will that will hurt you. I'm <laughs> it will hurt <laughs> that your soul. Sounds like such a threat. It's going to hurt you. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready to Now this is to hurt. This is a 5 minute. This is a 5 minute video. You don't have to watch the full thing, but you just have to watch enough to get a feel for it. And then we'll come back. And then we'll okay. come back. Okay. Describe. Well, we're back from our we're back from our break where I just real quickly watched this five minute video, which is <sighs> just a really middling take on paradising <laughs> Harry Potter through the lens of Family Guy. So what this is I, is uh, it, this it, this YouTube channel Patrick McCarthy yeah. made a five minute. A video with yeah. original animation. Yes, he voices all the characters. Yes, uh, save for for the women. And it's it's what if Family Guy did a parody of Harry Potter? Yeah, it's with uh, Stewie it... as as Harry Potter mm-hmm. and Brian as Ron Weasley mm-hmm. and Peter's Hagrid and Cle- Cleveland as Dumbledore. It's yeah. Could yeah. it be mistaken? I want to say okay. So so first of all. Just on a just on a capability basis, it's impressive. You you made a spec episode instead of a spec script. Yes, you know you, you did it all yourself. That's really cool. This did remind me why I stopped watching Family Guy. <laughs> yes. Um, it's a little. It's almost there. I feel like it's almost it almost passes for real Family Guy. There's something I can't quite put my finger on. 
Is it the voice acting? Not no, the voice acting I can forgive. I can I can leave it alone. I don't know what it is. There's a certain je ne sais quoi that just keeps me from being like Seth MacFarlane. Is that you? I think to me, it's like the pacing is like the pacing of the jokes and what the jokes would be. The absence of Family Guy music as well. Uh huh. Yeah. Because you obviously put in something that you that I assume you thought sounds like Family Guy, you know, Family Guy music. Or Harry Potter music. Or Harry Potter music. I feel like it's almost... I hate to say it. I hate to say it. I hate to say it. And I'm going to regret saying it. I almost feel like Family Guy might have been a, like 2% more mature about it. Hmm. Because when he gets okay. into a nearly headless Nick joke where it's like, not that head. I'm like... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I it's feel hard like... to say. I'm so conflicted. What does put me in is just like... It's not just, you don't only have fight or flight. You also have, like, fight, flight, and, like, lockdown. Fascination. Like, yeah. you need to, like, study this. I'm, like, I, I feel like I'm in stasis. I feel I feel stymied by this. I don't know what to do. I, and it's, it's weird. It's uncanny. It's like Family Guy, but in the uncanny valley. And it's really weird. I don't... Mm. Props to the guy. Props to the guy. If this had worse animation, and it's not like Family Guy's complex, but he's he's got all the characters on model. The yeah. motions are done right. Yeah. Like he even comes up with these new Harry Potterified designs for all the cast. Yeah. Like it works, and it's I, I guess yeah. Looking at the comments, he did like wind up being a storyboard artist for Family Guy. Like good for him. Good good for him. It's just like that ultimate quest. Uh, you know, it's Family Guy, though. We're not... Late period Family Guy, that's where you want to work, you know? I kind of want to go back to, like... For me, peak Family Guy was, first of all, I, when I'm in high school, uh-huh. when I'm a teenager, and, like, yeah. post-first cancellation. Mm. Okay. Yeah. 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 That that's 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 the Family Guy that I can like humor. Once the the fuzziness of the animation cells is, yes, and they're a little less saturated. <laughs> well, <laughs> I do feel shown and told. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So <laughs> so that exists. That that exists. I love that we both had an air of that exists for our show and tell today. Mm hmm. But. I think, without further ado, we're ready for the main topic. Get on with it. So, I already introduced the main topic, technically. We are going to be talking about the 2012-2014 web series put on by Rocket Jump and Freddie Wong called Video Game High School. That is correct. So this this was your episode suggestion, because I knew about this in the context it showed up in, like, me scrolling through Netflix one day, because it's on Netflix now. Which is so interesting to me, like, just, again, the, the morphing of this. It's kind of, and I think we'll talk about it, it's just really come into its own piece of pop culture, but it, almost in a niche way, mm-hmm. where it's, like, it's it's known but it feels like it has very specific fans. So I just wasn't on a lot of, like, early YouTube, mm-hmm. or these sort of more, sort of when YouTube was sort of 
branching off and making these different like media production companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rocket Jump was one of them. They did a lot of like very high effect laden skits, right? Yeah. Like, do you have like, do you remember the first time you really saw what ended up being a Rocket Jump um, video? Yes, it was. It was what if like Mario was an FPS. Okay. Because that got posted to IGN and various gaming websites. Yeah. I think mine was like Big Head. Like Big Head mod and re- like Big Head Easter egg in real life. Yeah. And that was sort of the vibe of the skits. They were very like three to five minutes long. Mm-hmm. Very special effect laden. And it's just like, you know, mm-hmm. the humor of the time. Yeah. What, what if what if video games, what what if you actually did yeah. something from a video game? That wouldn't work in real life. Right. You yeah. Know? And so... But who is this man, Freddie Wong? <laughs> so, so Freddie Wong, and I was, I was still very somewhat familiar with him. Like he was known. That's the weird thing is that he was a low key celebrity for a little while. Freddie is um, local to us. Even he grew up in Seattle with uh, oh, okay. his brother Jimmy, and went to. Now my sources are like iffy on this. Wikipedia says USC Film School, so I'm going to go with USC Film School. Okay. 2006, right? He starts a YouTube channel and it's for like little shorts, Guitar Hero gameplay, Let's Plays, like just random things, like what you would normally do with your own personal YouTube channel. And like the oldest video on his YouTube channel is a short called Aces and it feels like John Woo kind of. It's like a little tense poker match that turns into like gunplay. It feels very like, like Lonely Island. But early Lonely Island. Yes, like a really early Lonely Island. And what I want to preface is, I think my weird sentimentality, because I do consider it weird, just based on my current interests now, my sentimentality towards Freddy and Video Game High School as an entire IP is that it reminds me a lot of my interest in making videos and movies when I was a teenager. Mm. I think it was a lot of the yeah. same interests that felt very, very, like, late 2000s. Mm-hmm, it's incredibly mm-hmm. of the time. Because there's this feeling that, like, video per- editing software mm-hmm. was getting, like, so much more commercially available. Yeah. And it was being taught in schools and things. And, of mm-hmm. course, you get kids who, like, learn how to make this. And they're like, I want to make, you know, I want to make content. And that was, like... You know, at the time, it was kind of like a golden age of just people making, like, stupid little skits and stuff. And then some of them uh, made, like, so many stupid little skits of, like, such a high quality that they started gaining a lot of subscribers and a lot of interest. And they, you know, there's that feeling of you've got to hype up, you've got to build and build. And also, this is the time period where in the 90s, we started seeing things like more independent, more indie, gritty filmmaking coming out outside of Hollywood. And in the wake of that, in the 2000s, you start seeing that fallout where it's younger and younger people being like, you don't need Hollywood. You don't need a degree. You don't need, you know, you can just start making movies on your own. And it felt like this almost like wild west this new frontier of filmmaking online because it's like oh well we have youtube and shortly around that time like the youtube upload limit like the time limit got longer right around Mm -hmm. that time as well so you were starting to get longer form content coming onto the coming onto the platform but it wasn't just special effects stuff that freddie did that got him notoriety it was also freddie wong was like really good at rhythm games (laughs) 
Yeah, so he was the guitar hero guy. Like, he was brought on to, like, events, specifically to play Guitar Hero and show how good he is at Guitar Hero. Right, because he would also, he would incorporate that into his skits as well. Like, there's Guitar Hero YYZ, where it's like, you'll see references to this pretty much in Video Game High School, where Freddy's, like, sitting on a motorbike in a shiny shirt with his hair done, wearing chains for no reason, playing YYZ in full on Expert in his living room. And it's just, like, mm-hmm. it's a whole vibe. And in 2007, he wins, like, a, ta- like a Guitar Hero 2 championship at a now-defunct esports competition called World Series of Video Games, which died mm-hmm. out around 2014. But after that, he was a guest on TRL, Total Review Live, which was a music show with, like... Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, there would be, like, the peanut gallery outside the window. On, and on like, MTV. Yeah, it was on MTV. They had a gamer week. And... Freddy Mm -hmm. was in a band called Helenor Roosevelt, a rock band band. And they like faced off like after training with other rock bands like Good Charlotte, they faced off at Hard Rock Cafe in New York against another team from Chicago called Carry Me Home. And so they got like, so Freddy was like good at Guitar Hero, so he got the guitar, and then like they got other people who were good at the other rock band instruments. Exactly, and it was like to promo rock band. So after that, he just starts. It's it's rhythm gaming, and it's also like his channel is really taking off with his VFX work. This is a time period where like a million subscribers was like a huge. That was a deal. huge deal. That was a big deal, and he starts getting. Like, celebrity cameos. He starts, um, in 2010, he does VFX for a TV commercial that Mystery Guitar Man on YouTube did with Rhett and Link for McDonald's. Okay. I know, like, this whole, like, crossroads is insane. (laughs) EA taps him to make a commercial for Battlefield Mm 3. John Favreau finds out about Freddy Wong when his, like, 10-year-old kid shows him rocket jump videos. And is like, oh, I like this guy. John Favreau cameos in one of Freddy's shorts, and then also says, "You can use my props from uh, Cowboys vs. Aliens." Um, and so, 2011, he actually forms Rocket Jump, like the company, with his friends Matt, Brandon, Dez, who all, in some form, are involved at some point with Video Game High School. Mm-hmm. And then, in September 2011. Rocket Jump pitches Video Game High School. We're going to make a series. We're going to make a series with these people in it. And in 2011, he's asking for $75,000 to fund the first season, which is really modest. That's really low. It's really modest for a... And at the time they said it was going to be six episodes? I think it was, yeah. They were said it was going to be six episodes. They just needed $75,000 because more than anything, he didn't want to make money off of these people. Mm-hmm. He just wanted just the money to fund it and pay the actors and do everything. So they fund for 30 days. In October 2011, funding closes with a total of $273,000, three times more than what they asked for. Okay. Which is like a, when you look at how many donors they had, it averages about 48 to $50 per donor. He had that reputation already. People associated cool VFX and funny writing with Freddy. Because of how YouTube worked, especially in those early days, it, there was much more of that parasocial relationship. Yes. If, if like, you know, if I was a guy with, with money, I would, if, like, Tom Cruise did a video 
of like I need I need you all to donate so I can make Mi- Mission Impossible twenty the Golden Years. Like I would be like no. No, yeah. you have money. Exactly, you uh, have money. And also, I don't know you, <laughs> but if it was like like a YouTuber I followed, like I don't know, fucking back in high school, if actually I did do this, if like Doug Walker, the nostalgia critic, <gasps> was like donate donate to our our Indiegogo so we can make make new and higher quality shows, <sighs> I was like, yeah, because I because he's just a dude. He's, he's just, just a, a guy. Dude making, he's doing what I want to do. He's just making content on the internet. So back in the day, at least the people I was following, they were content creators who were making fictional content. Nowadays, mm-hmm. the content creators I am donating to financially, like even in just like dollar, are like review channels and like people who do yeah. like deep dive video essays in their free time from university. Like yeah. the the usage of the platform has changed so much. And Freddie's even gone on to say that a lot of that was not just the algorithm changing, but also the partner program changing as well, that it soon became by the minute would start affecting how much money you made. Yes. And that really tanked, um, not just like sketch shows on YouTube, but also animation took a huge nosedive from that. I remember that. Because it's like, you know, animation, especially independent by yourself animation, really benefits yeah. like a a two to five minute sketches, if that. Mm-hmm. But YouTube was saying more and more, it's like, no, it needs to be like over ten minutes. It needs to be over twenty minutes in yeah. order for you to really see a profit from it. We got to cram in more ad time. Yeah, it was like after YouTube opened up the time limit on videos, they were like, no, you have to put, you have to make longer videos in order to mm-hmm. keep engagement up. In order to actually get the money from us. Yes. Like they started moving the goalposts the more they allowed on the platform. And it's so interesting now because the one thing I really noticed looking back and I was binging the series was that everyone was like, thank God Video Game High School came out before YouTube Red. Mm. Because this would have been a YouTube Red series and no one would have watched it. That's true. Yeah. 100%. Like I think about like all the, like when YouTube Red started, it did have that similar feeling of like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna get PewDiePie his own show. We're Ugh. gonna have the the Game Grumps make their own show. Yeah, they really tried selling it, and it was quickly like people were voting with their wallets, and they're like, I'm not interested in YouTube Red, like bespoke content for that. I'm not interested in that. I'm use I'm interested in YouTube. I'm just Red. not interested in watching Let's Players do a sitcom. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. That's the other thing is that I think what we start seeing in the 2010s is like. I think this started occurring to me after I watched Rooster Teeth's feature-length film in theaters. I, I think it occurred to me that I'm like, this got really big. This got yeah. really big, and I don't know if I, I I don't know if I trust the people I love doing let's plays to inherently know how to make feature-length content. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And so that is kind of that's rocket jump up to. VGHS, and I think afterwards we can probably talk a little bit about what everyone else is up to afterward. But mm-hmm. I kind of want to know because you'd never seen Video Game High School before. No, and I was a little late to it. Mm-hmm. So I like think how late? Like how how far? I watched into... it. I watched it after it premiered. I after it ended. I watched it after it ended. So I watched it about 2015, 2016, I want to say. But I ate it up. I was just in that place where I just finished college. I was convinced I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write 
my screenplays. I'm going to make movies with my friends still. And I wanted to learn how the real world is meant to be. Oh my God. (laughs) I was really in that place. I needed. I feel like I found video game high school right when I needed it, where I was still, where I was still really nostalgic for high school and like the way that it was and the way that it felt so real and so raw for me. And a lot of places in this series were like, yeah, teenage years suck. Like that's crazy. But watching it now as an adult, and I'm so interested to hear your approach to this show completely blind as an adult. Oh, it's different. I, uh, Murph, what did you... Th- Mur- Murph, how would you how would you rate video game high school? Uh, um, Be honest, I'm, this is a safe space. I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> I... You know, when, I, when we were talking, episode two... We were talking about Rise of the Brave Triangle Dragons, and I mentioned, like, you know, there was a time where I used to go to every, like, animated movie that was released, regardless of, like, what it was. Yeah. But right, but I never saw Rise of the Guardians, because that's right when it was falling off. Okay. And then watching again, I, like, fell backwards in time. Oh, yeah. That was, that was the feeling of watching this. It was definitely, because I never watched, like, like... Stuff like Rooster Teeth, Machinima, mm-hmm. Screw Attack, Rocket Jump, those all, I'm not going to say they passed me by, but I was never, like, a fan. Mm, okay. At most, at most, like, Rooster Teeth, I guess I would say, because I liked Red versus Blue. And I was, I was excited for, like, for, like, Ruby, and this feels yeah. a very Ruby scenario. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, we're going to let our, our YouTuber who makes funny sketches make, like, really long serious content not serious in like tone or content but serious in terms of like professionalism yes like we're gonna give them a budget and and that kind of feels like and it just it just creates this weird vibe of like this isn't the level of quality i expect from them okay okay And, and it's almost like you want it's weird to say, but it's like I never like saying to people like go back into your your hole, go back into your lane, make make the stuff I want. Right. But it's like But it's know. also like recognizing people's strengths and wishing that now that they've experimented, they can take what they learned and go back and like really like play on those strengths. Mm-hmm. Because like when we talk about like creative exercises, this feels like a big, big experiment from the guys at rocket jump of yeah. like it feels it feels very trepidatious and the first season is such a different vibe from the later two yes and se- season two is so weird it's working with a much lower budget like the lighting's very it's natural it doesn't feel quite so nickelodeon sitcom as right. like, season two is yes but it still is like written and paced like that mm-hmm where it's and it's just so hunky dory. Yeah, there it's very optimistic and very cheery. And and so I I'm getting the sense, I'm getting the sense that the the whole watch did not net positive for you. Like I said, I watched all I watched all 7 seasons in a movie of Venture Brothers <laughs> before I finished this show and this only has what ultimately When you look and it's like 23 episodes, you're like, "Oh, that's nothing." Yeah. And then you don't expect that the episodes get twice as long every season. Yes, or that there's a 1-hour series finale. Yeah, it's it doesn't give you that it doesn't give you that idea. And of course YouTube doesn't tell you how long 
playlists are time wise mm-hmm. anymore. I feel like it used to. I was doing the math. I was like, oh, I can finish this up in like six hours. Yo, I no, no, here's I can do one better than the Venture Bros thing. I watched all of Quentin Reviews Nickelodeon <laughs> sitcom saga back to back, unbroken, before I finished this series. Oh my gosh. I'll open by saying that this still ended up being like a solid six out of ten, like three out of five stars for me. It's definitely it's got its rough spots that are very that are very large for me, but it's so earnest and I love the intent and emotions that are present so much. <laughs> like you hear mm-hmm. the cast, like you hear the cast talking and they're like oh, this was like the most fun set I've ever been on in my life where even though I would have, like my crew call would have been at like seven in the morning and at the end of the day, I would have still hung out for a couple hours. Uh huh. And it's like, you get that vibe that this was a very wholesome, positive place to be, which is great. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just say it. It reminded me a lot of like the optimism and like friendship and fun and creativity of like what we like, tiny fru and tiny murph engaging in like film camp shenanigans of like yeah. oh boy let's grab a video camera and make a movie <laughs> yeah we're doing we're doing real hollywood stuff yeah and it was so it's a lot of that so the premise is is you've got uh brian d who is who is your who is your average kid no one understands he's he's you know, he's not perfect. He's actually a bit of a klutz. He's pretty awkward. He is your 2010s average white guy protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Where his where his main character flaw is that he's like clumsy. Yes, and he's pretty projectable. You can kind of project a lot. He lucks his way into getting a scholarship? Yes. To video game high school, that is what it's called, which right. is a private school. This is the future, by the way. Yes, yes, and they teach you how to play video games, or like, yeah, you already know how to play video games when you get there, but you pledge, you pledge into a not genre. Okay, it's not like yeah, you you pledge into a specific genre of game. So like, if you are a FPS player. You go pledge to the FPS class. And if you are an RPG player, you go pledge to like the RPG class. And so, uh-huh. and they have like whole recruitment days for freshmen and stuff. And you can't change. And you can't change. <laughs> There's rules. Uh, there are so many rules established in the first season that they don't follow up on. Yes. And then there's concepts that are introduced in the first season that don't get expanded until the last season. Yes. But Brian D goes to video game high school because he managed to defeat the number one player in the world, the law. The law at um, Field of Fire. Yes. And that gets him in because he lucks into defeating the law. And it's like a huge deal. Video games are like the bread and butter. Like obviously Ernest Klein copied Freddie Wong because video games rule the whole planet in the future. It's essentially like a a, a anime like Yu-Gi-Oh! or yes. Beyblade. Yes, it's Where it's very... like, this is just what the economy is now. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, it's... Like, the law is interviewing with iJustine on a TRL-like show where he gets into... Where he joins a lobby. Yeah. To show off his skills. To show off his skills on live television. And that's when, like, Brian D takes, has a once-in-a-lifetime chance and takes it in. Boom, headshot, kills the law on national television. 
which yeah. gets him like the attention of video game high school. He gets an offer and he goes. And also now that I'm thinking about it, there's a lot of weird parallels with this and like ready player one. And I think mm-hmm. Freddie Wong needs to sue. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes there and he makes immediate friends with Teddy Wong. Teddy Wong, because Freddie Wong is here as himself as the rhythm games professor. And he's yes. a deadbeat dad in character. And Teddy Wong play- is his son, but he's played by Jimmy Wong, who is F- Freddie Wong's IRL brother. He's younger than him by, like, two years. That's the wild thing. Like, this felt very, very film camp to me, where it was like, who can we cast? Like, very school play of, like, oh, you're playing my dad, but we're not going to do anything to make you look the like thing, my dad. The thing is, I would have, I didn't know that until finishing the series. I wouldn't have guessed. Really? Yeah. So you can tell, like, I can see a family resemblance, and it's really funny when you go into the older videos on Freddy's channel, and like, oh, there's there's Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> like, a really young Jimmy, but, like, you would never know that their age difference is, like, only a couple years, because they play Teddy really young. And Yeah, and Teddy has probably, like, the most definable arc, I guess I would say. He has, yes, because, like, we'll get to other supporting characters' arcs. They're not so much arcs as they are, like, forays Mm -hmm. like they just grow in a trajectory and stay there but freddy gets i mean teddy gets an arc where he matures as a person because he's just like the like the oh i'm the i'm the hyperactive best he's the ron weasley yeah yeah where he's like oh i'm just a mess of a person but he becomes a young adult by the end of the series i guess through some harrowing trauma. <laughs> yeah, so he gets, um, he's supposed to join the rhythm course, but his true Yeah, because calling, he wants to please his dad. His true calling is driving games. It's, like, specifically drifting games, which is really weird to me. I don't remember that being a subgenre in the 2010s. Not really, Like, Forza no. was a thing. Mario and Kart? And I'm just like, oh, racing game. Well, they do Mario Kart, and that's, like, but the Duchess. Mario Kart's the rival faction. Right. Yeah, that's really weird. And it's like, I kind of get what they're doing, where FPS clan is like super hardcore and militaristic, but they identify the drift racers as like kindergarten. It's, it's, they don't even have a teacher. The drift king, their leader is a senior. Yeah, that would, that was weird to me. I thought the drift king was a teacher because he's teaching them. No, he's just he's just there. They don't have a teacher. They're just kind of self-led. Like that's how lame and how baby the the drift games are supposed to be. And there's there's good nuggets of creativity here where it's like inspired and funny and it's like it looks funny, but then you start pulling it apart. The world building is like my number one my number one nitpick with the series. Mm-hmm. Cuz I think we have too many pieces. And... It feels it, definitely halfway through the series. It feels like they get tired of the the video game high school concept until like the yeah. very end. Like it's not even. It doesn't even have like Hogwarts houses, you know. And I don't not like that we keep really. calling back to Harry Potter in this episode, but that really is. But it's such a for millennials. It's such a like if you're doing for a how school, we look at things. Yeah, if you're doing a school based like. You gotta do factions. Story. Yeah, factions and things. It's just, it doesn't really feel that. Yeah. But, like, so we have we have Teddy, and then we also have, to round out the friend group, 
Key Swan. Yes. Kimberly and Swan. And Key is Key, yeah, Kimberly Swan. And Key is girl. That's like, Key is girl and she's like really Hermione coded for the first season because they don't really know what to do with her. She's like, I want to do homework. I want to do, like, I want to be a good girl. And that's it. Like, she's a prodigy. Yeah. She's really smart. She programs fighting games. Yeah. Like, her parents program fighting games. And she got really good at the fighting game. And now she's at video game high school to learn what gamers want. Yes. And when she's, like, first introduced, she's so, like, like, doe-eyed. Like, like, what? You were, you were talking like to me? They, yeah. I was busy programming this video game in the time it spent you talking to me. They make her very, like, airheaded almost. It's very weird. Like, they say that she... They present her as, again, I really hate this. I, I want my money back. I want financial compensation for what Joanne Rowling has done to my brain. Like, they say she's Hermione-coded. They set her up as that. But she's, like, really, like, Luna Lovegood in execution. Mm-hmm. In the Especially first season early where she's, yeah, she's really like ethereal and mystic and like, what were you doing? Oh my gosh, where's my room supposed to be? I don't know. It really feels like the dark specter of Felicia Day on the nerd culture at the time. Because this, <laughs> she's even redheaded. This so she's feels a... like the the producers watched Doctor Horrible's sing along blog and were like, I really yeah. like Felicia Day's performance and character. Let's have that. But Felicia Day's too old and we can't get her. Yeah, and God bless her name's her first name's Ellery. And she does what she can with this character. As she grows throughout the series, they kind of figure out more things to give her. And they're like, oh, she's really fastidious. And what happens if you ruin routine for fastidious people? Oh, they freak out and they need to, like, learn how to be more flexible. And they try to do this with her. And it's like a lot of it just comes across as really sheltered kid on the brink of, like, gifted like gifted kid burnout. Mm-hmm. With, like, probably undiagnosed neurodivergence. But she she gets to be Teddy's girlfriend. Yeah, they immediately make her Ted's girlfriend. Like, that is episode one, where they're like, you're Ted's girlfriend. And as the viewer, you're like, these people have no chemistry. It kind of... It all... I, I didn't have... The actors don't have much chemistry early on. But I get the character dynamic they were going for. Kooky guy meets up with, like... Sheltered girl who doesn't know she's too good for him. Yeah, and it's like... It's supposed to meld together. But you know who has really, like... Oh my gosh. Okay, this show has one accolade from me that has persisted. And I was curious if it would still last. I am uncomfortable... Every time <laughs> Josh and Joanna, who play Brian D and Jenny Matrix, the cool girl in school, yes. anytime they're in a room together, I want to leave. <laughs> they have insane chemistry the moment they meet. They are married after the show for three years. Uh-huh. Yeah. They get married shortly after the show wraps. They stay together for like three years. They unfortunately divorce. Personal differences, that's fine. They have the weirdest, most, like, burning young people chemistry that I've ever seen in my life. And I am uncomfortable watching it. Mm -hmm. This show wins most uncomfortable on-screen kiss I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Because Brian gets his first kiss at the end of season one. Mm Mm-hmm. And Freddy just puts a camera on a tripod and just lets them go at it for, like, a minute. (laughs) Yeah. No music. 
close to like tight close up where they're like bashful, they're like blushing, and I'm like, oh my god, I need to stop watching this. We could have we could have approached this differently. It feels like it doesn't belong in the show. It's the complete opposite of the actual like if I can keep going back to it, of the actual Ron and Hermione <laughs> kiss. Where where Emma Watson That felt so earned. Yeah, well, Emma Watson, like, says, looking back, is, like, such a weird scene to do, because it, it just felt like incest. <laughs> and where it's, like, with this, it's, like, no, those those kids are up to something. They're doing something. <laughs> those, those kids are doing something. <laughs> like, it's, it's that bit where you watch something and you're, like, are they sleeping together? Yeah. Behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, yeah, they probably are. They probably are. I think, I think Joanna Brady, uh, who plays... Jenny Matrix is the best actress of the main cast because they give She's her the only one who's still doing stuff. Yeah, and she she gets actual like more like actual plot lines, emotional things to do. Yes, because her whole thing is that she is trying to go pro. She wants to go pro so bad. Yeah. Brian's just kind of there because he never thought he'd have this opportunity. But she has been exactly. training her whole life for this, and it's a lot of questions of like you know what is she willing to sacrifice? What is she willing to do? Yes, it's and she has like this relationship with her mother who like there's no affection there. She's not really a present mom. She's fully pro and she comes back to VGHS as a teacher. And this is where you can get me because it's like what is her name? Something Matrix. <laughs> well, yeah, because Jenny's like, "Oh, I even made it my username." Yeah. Because, like, I wanted to be like you so bad. Like, they really, really try and dig in there. But she, like, Jenny's who I'm talking about when I'm, like, some of these characters don't really have arcs. They have trajectories. Yes. Where it's not so much that Jenny, like, grows and changes. She's just like, I want to become pro. And by the end of the series, she's like, I'm going to go pro. Yeah, it's like, it's an issue of... You know, writing long-form series is very different from writing sketches and sketches you can yes. just have the archetype because you know you're using shorthand it's a sketch yes so but here it's like you need to do a little more than just having the nerd archetype the the wacky friend archetype the the milk can toast we talk about how games dean games dean lasted a whole series games dean didn't need to be a main character it was funny like in his first instance, where it's like he is absorbing all the good luck Brian is having, like for bad luck, like Brian tries to wear a fedora, it doesn't work, he throws it aside, lands on this random yeah. kid named Games Dean, and everyone's like, oh, he has a fedora on, how mysterious. Yeah, it's, oh gosh, and it's it, it sucks because that guy is also like a charming actor, mm-hmm. he's doing what he can with the bit, I... When we talk about good episodes, I have a lot to say about prom. Mm-hmm. Because there's good ideas for prom and then really bad follow throughs okay. for prom. So it's just the the main the last main character as defined by Wikipedia is the law himself. Man, Brian Forenzi. They just Okay, so they don't know what to do with him. Exactly. For a lot for a big part of it. For a big part of it in season 1, he's the big bad. He's the bully. He's the big bad. He's he's the cool kid in he's school. He's Jenny's boyfriend. He's he's Jenny's boyfriend, which they also have no chemistry. They give him a lot more screen time and like yeah. he's just sort of falls into this 
bit of being random. Like, whoop, I've got a mustache on now. Yeah, so do you recognize Brian Forenzi, by the way? Did you recognize him when you came to this show? There's something vaguely familiar about him. So he is a, he is a major face of five-second films. He uh, is, like, okay. the guy who made five-second films, which was do which has lived throughout internet culture and is thriving once again because vine because we don't have vine anymore but we do have tiktok uh-huh and five second films is a perfect length to get high engagement mm-hmm. and land punchlines on tiktok so five second films is like re-uploading all their old content onto like tiktok they're still making new content but yeah, so Brian is a creator of Five Second Films and a major face and actor of him, which also, I, I think, kind of explains where a lot of his comedic timing comes from. Mm-hmm. He's very because yeah, you're focused. right. In, in season two, they don't know what to do with him. The law is like disgraced after being kicked out of video game high school. But he's still around. Um, and, but he's still he's still around. And he's they, eating so much food and getting it everywhere. And they're trying to do like a fat Mac thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels very similar to like a fat Mac arc, but fat Mac isn't an arc. That's the beauty of it. That's the joke of it. It's it's. So... But it's like, what if cool guy becomes slob? And it feels like that kind of like Mary Sue situation mm-hmm. of like, haha, your bully has become a loser. It, and like they try to move him in with uh, Teddy and Brian. Like he has to share their room in video game high school because it's also a boarding school. It's also a boarding school. Ted has never officially moved in. Yes, but that doesn't work because how this how these episodes are written is that these characters split off every episode. Yeah. There's no episode where it's like, it's like Brian and Key doing a thing. They'll split off and then come back together at the end, at the end of their separate yes. episode arcs. We tend to do, like, A plot, B plot, C plot, especially as the show gets longer and longer episodes. So we almost never get episodes where all of them are together until we get to the really heavy shit. Yeah, and so it feels very like, yeah, we're friends, we're best friends. It's like, are you? What activities do you do together? Like, you think about bromances, right? And I feel like that had to be a huge part of the inception of Brian and Teddy. Like, you obviously want them to be bros. Yeah. But, like, when you look at the foundation and the growth of bros, when Brian for, oh gosh, they make a holiday that is all the holidays. And I kind of like that concept where it's it's all holidays at once. Yeah, because Calhoun wouldn't let anyone celebrate any of their holidays, so they, like, bartered and said, let let us have one holiday where we do everything. But that takes place in August, which causes me to, like, lose my mind about the timeline of this entire series. Yeah. 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 It gets weird. It gets really weird. It's just, I chalk it up to being the future. Again, there's some odd world-building choices in here. Uh-huh. Joel McHale is the president. Joel McHale is the president. Um... <laughs> How dare you remind me that that happened? People in the comments were like, oh my god, they remembered that one throwaway joke. And I went and looked back at the throwaway joke. And in season one, there's like a TV headline that's like, president goes missing. Yeah. And then in season three, there's America's Next Top President, which is a funny joke. Yes. It's very idiocracy. Tony Hawk is uh, about to be the winner. And suddenly Joel McHale comes out of a bush. And it's just like, I'm back. I'm no longer missing. 
I'm no longer missing. <laughs> and that's like, <laughs> that's a whole thing. That's a whole arc. Yeah. Um, my, my quiz for you was going to be, because this is an oddly big bit where I still have questions. What is the name of the girl who leads the social gamers clan? What is her name? I. What's her call sign? Girl with an accent. I literally, I, I went back and I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know any of this. I don't know who, who is this girl? We meet her when Key become, when Key starts running for class president. That's a season Which three is a arc. great, that's a great decision for her character to make. Yes. Is I'm going to become class president. That makes sense for her. And she's like, oh, I have to rally the votes of everybody, including the stinky casual gamer, like the stinky social gamers. Who, who are playing farming who... games. And that was funny to watch in modern times when, like, every... Yes. So many game, like, conferences This would have been directs. the cozy gaming. Yes. This would have been the cozy gaming clan, where we used to make fun of people for playing Farmville on Facebook. Yeah, and I think they also, like, reference, like, Minecraft as one of those. It's like... Yeah! It's, like, it's so weird. They They literally have... They have in 2014. Like, that's too monitor. Late. They have monitors in a sub basement, and they sit on hay. Bales. Where they have like beige computers, and they sit on hay bales, and like they're really supposed to make it look. I think casting her as an Irish girl is too on the nose. Yeah, like that's it's too on the nose for what you're trying to do. <laughs> like I got it, and it was funny, but the longer it went on, and the more that she became a thing and a recurring person, I'm like, oh my god, who is she? She's in the final episode in like the big battle. I'm like, what is your name? Yes, but there's also like that that whole arc of the casual gamers was driving me crazy because the other factions she needs to recruit are the MMO players. The MMO players who are the cool kids? Yes. They make them like the cool kids. Like they they code them after like Cher in Clueless. Yeah. Like where she's wearing the same like plaid skirt combo and they steal her boyfriend's Tamagotchi. Which is a casual and game. Ted kills it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Ted accidentally kills it because he's in detention for three weeks. That was a funny joke. I liked that joke of where it's showing him like doing push-ups in a in a prison cell and getting like shanked. he has a game he has a mobile game to play that's like a prison simulator yeah. like that's funny like that key visits him like it's visitation that's funny anything to do with calhoun i generally find funny yeah i think the issue they didn't lean too much into the high conceptness of like yes. this is this is this is a this is a looney tunes world where video games are the most profitable form of media and instead they kind of like because there's a line where games dean is talking to brian to try and hype him up and he's like brian do you know how cool your life is you get to go to a video game high school and it's like well what does that mean exactly in this world well and also he talks about like oh well what am i do like what are you doing And he's like well i don't have like i have nowhere else to go i'm gonna go back to regular school yeah and it's like, oh, right, that exists. That exists out there. You go to regular school or you can also go to video game high school, which is perfectly allowed. You have to get a scholarship or well, your gamer I mean, score has to be a certain thing, which is what they introduced. Your gamer score has to stay up. They introduced that in season one, never comes up again. That you have to stay above a certain threshold or else you're you're eliminated. Key's always bringing up how many points she has, but it doesn't really matter. Yes. Like, whenever she introduces herself, she says, like, how many points she has or, like, her place in the school. 
And but the the huge conflict for Brian in season two is that his scholarship gets taken away mm-hmm. because that was the huge condition of him getting thrown out of video game high school in the first season. So he starts working at school. Yeah. And working off his debt, which is like, that's a funny joke that it was like, oh, well, how much can it be? And it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. To be there. Like, that's a good joke because it's like, yeah, this was, this was be like an insane boarding school to send your kid to. Yeah. And (laughs) Brian has one parent. We don't know what she does because it's like really heavily implied that she's like a video, like a screen addict. Yeah. She like just sits and watches sports, but it's like esports. Yeah. She just sits and watches esports. Like she's literally catatonic Mm -hmm. and can't move. During parent day, she doesn't come. She just sends the cat. Yes. And Cheeto comes to live with them forever. Yes. <laughs> the more I explain of the show, I realize I'm, like, explaining like, these bits. Sounds like, these sound like bits. These sound like jokes, but it's like... These are whole episodes we're talking about. Yeah. Like, Prom is a whole episode where there's an A plot, B plot, and C plot. And it's like... So, season three, the show gets heavy. So heavy immediately season two i would say season two lunacy season two is like i would say the definitive video game high school experience that's probably what they had in mind like when they imagined the show it's season two because season two clearly has better like production it has more of a budget it feels like something you would see on nickelodeon or disney channel and i mean that wholly in terms of like the tone because it's it's a high school it's meant for kids it's meant for teenagers And then in season and three, the show gets horny. It gets horny and it gets like harrowing really fast. Yeah. Like it gets hardcore. Like we're getting into like, we go from Disney Channel teens we, to Euphoria yeah. teens really fast. And so the and prom episode is kind of done. It's ambitious. It's like an anthology. It's done as like different right. like Everyone's experience genres. of prom night. That too. Almost. It's like... Key has her noir. Yeah. Where she's going to figure out who is, oh my god, what is the conflict of this one? She's trying to figure out who stole the cat. Who stole the cat? That's right. Someone stole Cheeto. Yes. Okay, yes. Someone stole Cheeto, Brian's cat. And there's like a whole noir. It's done well. It's done respectably for a noir parody. Mm -hmm. And it's fine. It's resolved. I wish the episode was just that. Like, Key deserves her own stuff. Yeah. And her own growth. Key deserved more. And then you have Teddy, who has, like, a pretty good episode for himself, too. Where his douchey drift, like, drift friends convince him to go to an erotic arcade. That arcade wasn't very erotic. (laughs) That arcade wasn't very erotic, but I'm assuming all of the boobies were on the arcade cabinets and we just weren't allowed to see them. So they... (laughs) I also never, I never enjoy, I never enjoy depictions of gang members in media. It's mm-hmm. almost never done in a sensitive way. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like a weird or, bit where he like gets a job there as like the token boy. Yeah, because they like him. No, work. they first think he's, because his fake ID is his dad's ID. Oh, you're so right. So they're like, Freddie right. Wong, you owe us money. Oh, that's and, right. And so he has to pay off the debt. And so he has to work there. And Brian's part of, of the prom episode is that he gets drunk. <laughs> he gets drunk. And they've never they've never mentioned alcohol in this series until this moment. And they don't even really like focus on the characters' ages, because I was going crazy 
trying to figure yeah. out what grade they're in. Because they mention mm-hmm. that, like, Jenny Matrix is a... A sophomore. Yes. They say it, like, in the first episode. They're like, oh, Jenny Matrix, she's a sophomore. She's on the junior varsity team. Yeah. Of the FPS clan. <laughs> Which, again, it's like, like okay, I'm, so... It sounds like I'm saying gibberish. Are Brian, Key, and Teddy freshmen at the start of the series? They're all freshmen. They're all freshmen. And they're all freshmen at, like... So I think they're all incoming but, sophomores at the end of the series. That's, when the, they that's get, also the weird thing. The entire series, all three seasons are like one school year. One school year, which is crazy to me that you would make that decision for like on a production scale when all of your prime, like all of your actors are in their mid 20s. And it's like, yeah, and now we're like really getting into the nitpicky stuff because like we mentioned that Leapmas thing, which is all the holidays yeah. at once. That's in August. And they're attending school. A lot in of August. schools in LA, a lot of pri- a lot of private schools in LA do year-round school or they do off-season school. But they never outline it. They never say but it. But towards the end of season in... three, they're talking about like, what are you gonna do for summer? Yeah. And the final shot is in summer when they're off school. It's really weird. And how old it's, is it's the law? Weird. Because I'm starting to how think old is the law? I'm starting to think it's actually like in universe that he is just like a weird old man because there's a flashback. There's a flashback to five years ago to set up the villains for season three. It's like they try to get into video game high school and get kicked out because they're tweenagers. And it's it's done humorously because you're like, oh, those are grown men pretending to be 12-year-old boys. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like they watch an ad where it's like a, the law as a fully formed the law. But he looks like the law at the beginning of the show. Yes, and he's shilling like energy drinks. We haven't even mentioned, oh my god, we haven't even mentioned but the then, of season three. But then Nathan Cress. Freddie from iCarly is like, you know what, the law? You look like a 30-year-old man. And the law just laughs for an uncomfortably long amount of time. It's supposed to be an in-joke where they're like, we know Brian Forenzi looks really old because he has like a unfortunately back hairline. It's not even a receding hairline. He just has a big forehead. Yeah. That's not his fault. (laughs) But if they really actually went ahead and being like, no, it turns out the law is actually 30 years old and he's been been held back at this high school because he doesn't want to participate in the real world. That would be funny. And I'm going to say it right now while we brought it up. Seeing Freddie from iCarly with chest hair is really uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, oh my god, we haven't even... We're talking about the plot. We haven't... What, what do you want to get to first? Do you want to get to the big bad of season three? Which is like... I I have mixed feelings about it. Or do we want to get to the episode in season I... three? <laughs> season three, we, we try to... This is what I'm talking about when there's so many moving parts. Season three, I could really feel like it turning into something of its own identity. Because if yeah, they wanted yeah. to, and I'm not the kind of person who's like, oh, if you make it dark and gritty, then it's better. Mm-hmm. But it definitely felt like when they were making it dark and gritty, they had more to say using this framing mm-hmm. device. Right. Um. So... I'm just going to say my favorite episode is the the Shotbot episode. <laughs> yes. Of season 2. Yes. Okay, there is a VJ for their news channel. It's a Yeah, I don't think they're of part a... of the school maybe. They just cover events. No, I I think they just cover events. I don't know what it is though. Like is it like a news show? Is it like Yeah, it's G4? like an ESPN is it thing. like yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, so it's like ESPN, because it's like, we're doing esports, and we don't really understand what esports are in the pop culture zeitgeist yet, 
So like we equate it to sports. Yes. And so there's a and there's a host Shock and then a, a robot co-host. And this is introduced super which early is great. on. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's introduced really early on. I think it's one of the things that's supposed to ground us in the future, other than random pieces of technology that don't make sense. Yes, but there's a bit where where the show gets shut down, and Shotbot yes. has to go undercover as a student to look for <laughs> to get his job to back. get to look for a news story. So he dresses up like a girl, and Shotbot just looks like a robot. He looks like a Cyberman from from Doctor Who, and he puts on a blonde wig. All he's done is like a wig and like put on a skirt. Yes, over his suit. and the law falls in love with him. It's the one like <laughs> good bit of the law's entire season two character arc, and they have a romance and. <laughs> The shot bot There's sacrifices like a whole thing himself. at the end. Yeah, because the law is being held hostage in a dunk tank. Yes. But he has a really important thumb drive with um, information about the big bads of season three. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Shotbot sacrifices himself with a very heartfelt admission of robot loves boy. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just going to disregard the fact that the law was able to keep this thumb drive safe by holding it tightly in his hand, even though he falls into the dunk tank. Yeah. So, I mean, I buy he's got it, that but gamer also grip. I wonder... Yeah, he's got the gamer grip. I wonder why it was such a big deal then. He could have just done that the whole time. I. <laughs> it, it, it wears off each dunking. <laughs> okay. So, but still, but still, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so, so Shopbot is that is a good episode. I love that episode. That is a good, funny episode. Now let's talk about a dark episode. Yeah, the the elephant in the room. Um, we we open on a cold. Uh, we we have a cold open of Freddy, who we haven't seen much. We don't really He's talk about rhythm games past season one, which is what made this episode weird. They, yeah, season one, they go over the decision that Teddy, his son, is not going to be a rhythm gamer. He's going to go be a drift game gamer, and which isn't a, a subgenre <laughs> of game. But <laughs> we never see Freddy or hear about his class ever he again. He just shows up from time to time two. to give... It, it, literally before to, this to episode... To be a shitty dad. Before this episode, they have like a bit, the episode before, where he's like squirts apple juice on Teddy and gives him detention. Yeah. Yeah, or he's, like, in the trunk of his car that they stole in the prom episode. It's, there. he shows up randomly throughout. Just to remind and it's like you he's don't, there. He, just to remind you he's there. So we open up with a surprisingly long sequence of Freddy riding a motorcycle, which is a thing that we never really knew he does. Yeah. But he's riding a motorcycle down a country road with no helmet, and then it cuts to black. And we go about our sitcom business where Keys run away from school. Keys run away from school because she's done something bad for the first time in her life. Yes. She tried to rig the election. She rigged the president, like the school president election in her favor and she won. So she feels terrible. So she's left video game high school and the boys and Jenny go back go to go to Key's house. By the way, Key's parents are written very well. They obviously love her very much. <laughs> it's like a warm, supportive family with like a beautiful home. 
Yeah. And they're just like, oh, Key, honey, it's okay. You can stay home as long as you like, want. And it's done, like, because the prom episode, like, everyone's personal, all the, it's it's the third act breakup for all of the friendships and relationships. Yes. So everyone. We are at the lowest level. Everyone hates each other, save for the characters that interact the least. So Brian and, with yeah. each other the least. So Brian and Key and Ginny and Teddy are, are still chill yeah. with each other. And it's like done. Right, right. It's done like a sitcom. Like there's Key literally has an invention, a Roomba that follows her around and does like sitcom audience reactions. Right, because she's so in denial of how bad everything is, and she's trying to keep things happy. And it's like, I see what we're doing with the episode. And then suddenly we drop the bomb. Jenny gets a call from Calhoun, the dean himself, to say that. Freddie has died in a motorcycle accident Mm -hmm. and the mood drops. The music stops. No one knows what to do. Everyone in this show has great cry faces. Everyone really digs in for those cry faces. As I dwell on that episode, because the first time I was kind of put off by it, I'm like, what? You can't. Video game high school, you don't have the the means to do this kind of like tone shift and get, get heavy. But, you know, looking back, like it's like, no, it does work because you go from like, oh, they're petty personal dramas, the sitcom laugh track, and then it's just yeah. like, boom, life comes at you fast. None yes. of that matters. Out of nowhere. This show, like, so this episode, like I said, this was one that I did. I knew I had to watch this one on default speed. And those pauses are felt. They're very, like, they're needed. Everything is paced well. It's shockingly written incredibly well for what it's dealing with yeah because immediately ted ted our comic relief he's in denial yeah he's in denial that anything bad has happened he shuts down and this doesn't register with key who understands rules and needs rules and needs this all to happen like she's trying to handle this meticulously like oh here are the stages of grief i made everyone pamphlets ted's not grieving like you would in a pamphlet because he doesn't have a healthy relationship with his father we actually go there. That's the crazy thing. Like, people have unhealthy relationships with their parents in this. And I think the only sin of the show is that they never say, leave your parents behind until Key finally does. Yeah, and that that was actually, that actually made me, like, sit up and pay attention when Key was just, like, flat out. Like, your like dad. your dad was not a good person. Yeah, he was a bad father to you. Why are you, like. <laughs> yeah. Like, we start getting, like, hints that. <laughs> Only after this moment do we actually get, like, confirmation of how terrible Freddy has been to Ted over his whole life, where they have the revelation that they're like, oh, what are we going to do this summer? And Ted's like, we can all go to my house. And, oh, I got to go get the TV from Freddy's house. And they're like, oh, you don't live together? Who do you live with? He's like, I live by myself. And everyone's like, that's not healthy, Ted. That's not a good thing. (laughs) Or he, like, goes to the laundromat to play the Freddie Wong licensed Guitar Hero game there. And he's like, Axe Legends. Yeah, I got good at the game because at the end, if you do, if you, like, perfect a track, Freddie Wong appears on screen to tell you you've done a good job and he's proud of you. And he's like, I got good at the game just so I could hear that because I didn't hear that from him IRL. It's like, that's... Which is wild because he's really bad at rhythm games. That was why we did Yes, yes. (laughs) So unless it's on easy. Mm -hmm. But... This was such a good episode. And, like, also, again, like, there's problem solving. There's, like, weird coping. Like, we actually kind of delve into that. Like, people clinging onto each other in, like, tough moments because Jenny and Brian hate each other, but they, like, make up a little bit. 
there's and a really weird like, bit where Key pulls Teddy into a closet and starts like she's trying. pulling off his She's shirt. trying. They're, she's like, oh, my friends are coping by making out. What if I make out with my boyfriend? <laughs> and that doesn't work. And it's just, it it all really works. It felt like it comes from a place like, of like actual genuine knowing yeah, what you're talking like, about. This is a really well done episode just at the end of the series pretty much out of nowhere and in the midst of this insane villain plot <laughs> yes and it's not even the penultimate <laughs> episode we still have a buffer episode in between oh that one feels so bad key comes back to school and she's a nihilist now and she's like she's dressing in black and she's wearing eyeliner and she doesn't believe in anything anymore and what's the point of making good games and she makes a depressing walking simulator game and it stinks. Oh my gosh, that episode feels so bad because we go right back to sitcom. Right back to sitcom. We're back at video yeah. game high school. We're back to hijinks. And it also, it's the beginning of this arc where Ted is like, I'm going to be an adult now. He's matured. Yeah. He's maturing because his father died. It is interesting in that, like, in the final episode, he's like, I'm kind of done with video games. I don't think I'm that, yeah. I don't think I'm that interested. Like, that's his art. Well, because he, like, found out that, like, the the drift kids aren't really his friends. They're all taking advantage of him and being mean to him. Yeah. Which is weird, because he was supposed to be the chosen one. He was supposed to be the chosen one. Which is another thread from season one, they give up. Yeah, they kind of just leave that behind. It's really weird. But, okay, I think we need to talk about the ridiculous, we need to talk about the Barnstormers. <laughs> I this came out of nowhere because I didn't register pizza as a character. Yeah, Shane Pizza kind of just shows up during. Oh gosh, Key is trying to find a. The first time Shane shows up, Key is trying to find a class because she sacrifices her enrollment to enroll in Freddy's class using his to key card. Force Ted out. Yeah, to force Ted out, and then she somehow gets a deal with Calhoun that she can re-enroll in a different class. And so she goes to check out the... The RTS gamers. RPG. It was the RTS gamers. That's yeah. right. The RTS gamers, where Shane Pizza, a businessman wannabe, is, like, the leader of the RTS Like, the gamers. bit is that, like, because RTS games are, like, about micromanagement and stuff, he sort of has, like, this tactician... Like, he wears a suit, and he's like, oh, that's a masterful gambit soon. And then he becomes Key's enemy in season two, because she's, like, what? The new RA. And he's the he's the head RA. So, yeah, so Key becomes the RA of the frag floor, where all of them stay. And Shane is the head RA, so they become, like, enemies. Like, oh, you're, sort of. your dorm rooms are messy. Is there a, a live animal about Key? You're going to lose your, your RA credentials. Yeah. I don't know why I give him, like, like, an English accent. He doesn't... He's not posh. You know. He's actually, like, American Psycho. Yes. <laughs> very, very 80s yuppie. But then... And I don't even remember... When the hell do we meet Ashley Barnstormer? At the end of is season Is it when we two. meet Napalm High? Yeah. There's a competing school called Napalm High. By the way, for all you Gilmore Girls fans out there, there is a Stars Hollow High that keep on competing and like winning and losing, and they have like their own background arc, I think. Yeah. But anyway, Napalm High School is <laughs> a competing high school, and one of their lead players is Ashley Barnstormer, and he's another big bad with a really good arched eyebrow face. Yes. And he recruits the law. 
the one fully by himself funny law bit. Yeah, he's like, I'm not signing any contracts because except for yours. Yeah, <laughs> it, like it goes on like that, and it's it's funny. But and so the yeah. law joins the rival high school because he's gotten his group, which is back, run like a business, which is run like a business. Except they don't like him there. They replace him with the new law, who is Freddie and iCarly. Yes, I don't remember his name. This Nathan Cress. Okay, yes, Nathan Cress. And they're like, he is younger and hotter than you. Yes. Because Law is secretly a 30-year-old man. (laughs) But the reveal, the reveal is that Ashley and Shane are brothers. Yeah, Shane Pizza is actually Shane Barnstormer. Shane Barnstormer. And so our big bads of season three in true 80s fashion. Is big business. Yeah, it's capitalism. Napalm energy drinks started Napalm High School, (laughs) run by these two teenage boys, Shane and Ashley Barnstormer. And they want to, they want to bulldoze Video Game High School and make it a mall. An energy drink mall. (laughs) An energy drink mall. And they want to call it the Mega Mall. Yes, and the gang, like, I kind of like how this is set up, that they're not actually going to, like, it's not like we're going to put on the best talent show ever and, and win back yeah. the community center. It's actually just like, we want to play one last game. Yeah. We want to win. We want to win because it's all about the game. That's what Calhoun says in the first episode. Yeah. And so they get together all the side characters and all the factions and teach them how to play path of fire or whatever it's called. Field of fire. Field of fire. Noob. Which is like the perfect mix between call of duty and battlefield. And it's a 30-minute action sequence of, like, just whenever they're doing, like, them playing a game, it's them, like, it's the Mm -hmm. actors, like, in military garb Yeah, yeah, you do it, you do it in-universe. And this is the most complex video game ever created. You can do so much- Do they have proximity chat? How does this- they have, they have private conversations during competitions. Yes. I don't understand. Like, you have, like, the law negging his ex-girlfriend- like just in a room alone and you're like are the people at home listening to this the noise counseling headphones are very good yeah i'm like oh my gosh how does spectatorship work in this like esports game yeah i don't understand like ever like that has to be like call of duty proximity chat and this seems or like, something and i know this seems like a stupid thing it, i feel so nitpicky feels, when i watch but i'm like just pulled it's, out it's definitely you can see their roots as like video game joke sketch comedy where it's like the rules yes. don't really matter. It's just that it is a video game. We're using shorthand. But it's but on the other hand, oh it's like if you're building your entire narrative core around this game, it needs like con- the game has to have rules. It has to have rules. It has to have consistency. This is the one thing Avatar: Legend of Korra did right. <laughs> it's like the series finale is so amazing. But it also, at the same time, both things can be true. It's really messy in execution sometimes because what we do is we have our big battle scene where we have created a team. By the way, it's a 30 on 30 lobby. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Like a 30 on 30 lobby. That's insane. Never come up before. But they manage, never, never come up before. We've always done in these shows, it's always 4v4. Yes. Like a regular, a regular lobby size. Yes. But this is a 30 This is supposed to be like Battlefield. It's supposed to be like Battlefield, and it's, so they recruit everybody, so everyone that we've ever even come into contact with during the show. So, like, the people from, like, the MMORPG clan. Yeah. 
And it's suddenly we have people from like the JRPG clan who we've never seen until season three. Yeah. And it's like, I kind of like the thing they do of like, all right, you guys aren't FPS players, so stick to your strengths. Yeah. Fighting game players, you do melee only. And I guess this game has a very deep melee system. And they, they are also like, oh, drivers, you, you're you going to drive the vehicles. I'm like, wow, we have a really complex driving simulator yes. in this battlefield game. Oh my God, we can drift in this game? Yeah. Um, it's, and oh my gosh, it's, it's so complex. I... I also don't understand the health system. No. Are you dead or not? Do you slowly lose HP? Can you gain HP? Are there healers? Are there people who this are actually, This game's so like... pay to win. Like, the law has these special golden guns that are, like, one-hit kills at any range. The long arm of the law is what his gun is named. Yeah, you can customize your guns. Um, everyone has bespoke gear that is, like, their own. Like, Jenny has her own specific look of, like, tank top and fatigues. Mm-hmm. And nail polish. Yes. And eyeliner. And and Key is really good at has... FPS games, suddenly. Key is good at FPS games, but she also gets to fight at some point, too. Yeah. The best part of this episode, honestly, is the law and the law teaming up to suck. I found that really deflating as a... Because <laughs> it's like, again, they don't know what to do with the law. So he's like, he's on top. They don't know what to do with the he's, law or the new law. Is he a threat? Is... I think what they were trying to do is, oh, we're going to I was like, okay. recruit the law to neutralize the new law. Yes. But then they yeah, I think. But then they team up, but not really, because the new law has been to kill key. To kill key and new and laws. Oh right, this is King Wait, what is the game mode? It's we've done um they, they even have different game modes. They had like a hostage one. They have to deliver a briefcase to a bomb site. And the other team's Right, protecting. this is like capture the flag. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah. It's sort of like, I'm fuzzy on the details. Yeah, there's like a bomb that has a counter that you have to like put in the code. Yes. And they originally give it to the social gamer girl. Because no one notices We don't know. Because no one notices them. And also there's like speedrunners. There's speedrunners doing parkour. And I'm like, how much, how much, like, what is the physics engine in this game? You can really tell. Are you clipping? Yeah, it's. This is where all the like. Are you clipping? Are you are you just are you are you exploiting bugs in the game like in real time? I don't understand. There's things I just do not get that I feel so nitpicky and douchey but about. But it's thirty when I minutes of show. the finale. It's an hour long finale. It's, so it's the second long. half of the ending. Oh, and Calhoun is there. Calhoun is part of the team he never because graduated. he never actually graduated, which is a throwaway joke. But I like the bit where they do show him in the real world. He's just a dad that's burnt out at home. Yes. Um, and, so they win. And that works. Again, anything with Calhoun is great. Yeah, they win. They win, and they were going to put out these 64-ounce... Energy drink like cans. Like, 64-ounce energy drink cans. The N64. Which is funny. The N64. The <laughs> and they're... Mo- but they, they printed them with their, like... The, the Barnstormers. With their pictures yeah, already. Yeah, saying, like, we, we won. We were the champions. And yeah. their mom comes in. It's like, you guys didn't win. How many of these did you make <laughs> they were like forty thousand shipments to each major retailer in the country <laughs> yeah and so their mom says you guys aren't fiscally responsible enough to run a mall where i'm shutting this down and that's how they win yeah <laughs> that's- and that's how they win and they get the school back at the end of the series and jenny goes so off to they- france to be a pro player a pro gamer and yeah teddy Brian and Do, Key goes to be yeah they they're all friends again. 
and the law exists. And the law is just out there somewhere. Don't they? They have a thing going on, don't he they? He goes off to have a bromance with Nathan Cress. I mean, I know that's true, but also, like, I don't remember what they do. Like, God, I love this show. It's so special in my heart. There's things I don't understand. Is the special... Okay, so that was the series overview, and we probably dwelled on too much, but honestly, this has been so long in the making, we have a lot of thoughts to get out. Would it feel special still if this aired Mm -hmm. on TV? No. Is it truly, like, the indie YouTuber part of it? I feel like it's so of its time. It's so of its time. It's it's all of it, all-encompassing, like, who it's from who it's made for, like, the intent it was made with. Like, when I say I love the optimism in its creation of we do things independently of Hollywood, we're completely crowdfunded, we're doing it for our viewers, I find something so earnest in that, that it was, you can see so much hard work in here, and that, yeah, the major sins of the production are that you did too much. It's it's an issue of... I think the issue is, is that you're coming from this really indie place. Like, truly, like, yeah, mm-hmm. YouTube at the time was indie. It was, like, even even indie filmmakers did not regard yeah. YouTube, like, sketch comedy guys as filmmakers, you know? like Exactly. It was still, like, oh, you're on YouTube. And But the issue is, is you come from that and make something that is just really generic and by the numbers and tropey. Save for a few shiny right. moments. And it just reminds me of, you know, the meme quote of uh, Hayao Miyazaki where he's like, anime was a mistake. Right, The right. whole context and quote for that is him talking about mm-hmm. the issue is, is that all these people who come into anime are anime fans. And so they just yes. make the stuff they grew up with. And so nothing, and they make high quality versions of that, but nothing new is yeah. being made. So I've been dunking on Ernest Klein and Ready Player One regularly here, but it's very much the same problem. Mm-hmm. That it's like you've made this so much for your own fans that you've really like indulged yes. on catering to them that you don't allow your own creativity to shine through because there are moments where it's like you can really see we've peeled back the layers of nostalgia and sentimentality Mm-hmm. and the cool factor of this VFX channel making a full-length show. And it just feels like a time capsule, because the early half of the 2010s are so different from the later half of the 2010s. In terms, Absolutely. And it's like, we're getting to, in the start of the 2010s, we started getting to a point where, like, yeah, video games are profitable. They are major media, and so is YouTube. And it's like, we're going to start making that really mainstream, and that results in sanding off a lot of the edges and attitudes of those and just turning new media into old media, but you watch it on YouTube. Exactly. Like, the crazy thing is that even in, so, 2012, in the six years since Freddie Wong started his YouTube channel Mm -hmm. to coming out with video game high school so much had already changed in just that amount of time but from 2012 to where we are now recording this in 2023 that like the amount that has changed has just been exponentially far beyond anything that we could have imagined at that time yeah and it's like Like, it doesn't you watch that show and you know that no one knows what google glasses are Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) 
and I remember I I did watch some of the making of and some of, like the post like uh mm-hmm. podcast appearances by some of the crew talking about it and what stuck out to me mm-hmm. was uh this guy Branded Latch who was mm-hmm. one of yeah. like the co-founders of Rocket Jump he was one of Freddy's like yep. frequent collaborators and he was talking about like the reason why he left Rocket Jump and abandoned production on Video Game High School is because according to him he like went out uh to the set and saw like all their cast had like trailers and it becomes too big it's too commercial yeah and it's like this isn't the kind this isn't the scale of the kind of art i want to make and it should be said that brandon is making his own video games now which is really cool yeah it's just we have this perspective of the ideal to be a filmmaker is to work in hollywood and to make Hollywood yeah, movies. Yeah. And I'm not even going from a perspective like fucking like rent. Like, oh no, you sold out. But it's like <laughs> No, it's just make make little goofy video game shorts. You know? If yeah. that's what makes you yeah. happy, if that's and it, then do that. You know? It it's not like that's how you start and then you have to make serious thirty minute web series. And it's it's cool that you can see that track in Freddie Wong's career is that when he feels like he is done with something, he leaves it. He's done. Mm-hmm. Like Freddie did a podcast called story break for four years. And he simply stopped like where he and his friends would pitch a project on the fly mm-hmm. where they would just come up with something. And the reason that they stopped was that they simply thought they were done. Yeah. You know, or the reason that they're still doing their podcast, Dungeons and Daddies, not a BDSM podcast. Yes. Is that they're still, they're still going through their campaign. They're still having a good time. Yeah. And he stops when he's done. He's, that's the thing that I love about it because we get so much of this creator burnout on YouTube now where it's like, I just kept doing the same thing over and over and over again until I thought that I was going to break. Yeah. You see so many creators burn out from that. But Freddie, he was independent of YouTube. He was independent of Hollywood because he didn't want to be micromanaged and controlled by the studio system. And he's also independent of YouTube where he's like, I do things on my own. I do when I want, when I want. Yeah, but they they still could get Joel McHale, you know. Exactly. And it's like, it's just this weird juxtaposition, like, um... I've mentioned before, I, I follow Critical Role and stuff, and I watched, like, a mm-hmm. retrospective on it. They're like, well, the thing that, that shines through to the end, at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of friends playing D&D together. And I just think, but it's not, though. But it's not, though. You have, like, the you have like the expectations of fans. That's always going to play but a part like, in it. But it's like, yeah, the, the product is friends playing D&D, but they have a merch department. They have a PR yeah. team. It's a, whole, it's a whole production thing. They have a touring company specifically to yeah. do the critical role on on tour and it's like they have a they have an amazon prime animated series you know right like there's a whole back of house like yes this is what the property is on paper but it's so much more complex than that and like the moment you bring in that like complexity yeah the the independent feel of just a bunch of friends making sketches on YouTube, just a bunch of friends playing video games and talking, just a bunch of friends playing D&D, that's going to go away. And that will always be the trade-off. Right, exactly. Because that's what I really 
I do have a soft spot for Freddy's work, for Rocket Jump's work, because it does still feel like even if you have Key and Peel in your sketch, it feels like that heart is still there mm-hmm. when we get to the Rooster Teeth event horizon yeah. someday. We'll talk about, I guess, how much heart really plays a part in fandom lives. Yeah. Because it really is, it really depends. Like, the there's no way to replicate a formula for any one property, any one organization. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a different mix, a different recipe for every person. Yeah. And I feel like Freddy's whole brand is him just unabashedly being himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and he's always done that. So Video Game High School really feels like him. Mm-hmm. And everything else he's done since then has also just felt like him. And I find, like, that's the best part about, like, when we go to our John Hughes supercut of what everyone's up to Mm -hmm. these days. Like, the Wong brothers, killing it. Yeah. (laughs) They're just doing what they want. Like, Jimmy's been doing Feast of Fiction since 2011. I was very disappointed to see Key's actress hasn't really... Yeah, Ellery's done nothing. It, it's and that's the crazy thing like joanna joanna's still going josh blaylock hasn't really done anything since 2018 um like i said brian frenzy who played the law he's still making five second films mm-hmm. and they're still they're still pretty funny like if you're gonna make a five second film like twice a week not all of them are gonna be great yeah um of course harley morenstein's basically just doing his own thing he does acting time to time mm-hmm um, I think we're just never going to get the glory of Epic Meal Time back ever again, unless he made a cooking show on TikTok or something. And like some, I said, Jimmy's doing bait. Feast of Fiction. Yeah. Yeah. No, that'd be good. I would love to see. No, no. Hold on. Sidebar. Epic Meal Time would be an amazing counterpart to Chef Club. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah. But yeah, Jimmy's been doing Feast of Fiction, which is really great. Um. They're still doing, like, sponsored content. I think they only took a break because Jimmy's been voice acting. Yeah, I didn't see that he's been doing a lot of uh, voice acting. Like, he was, he was in a game that I played at PAX two years ago. Bone Lab. Yeah, he Bone Lab, and that's from Brandon Latch. Mm, okay. And so, like, that's that's a huge thing. Like, he's starring in games. He's doing his own thing. Again, like, those Wong brothers, they're just doing what they want. And I think, yeah. And that's great that they can do that. I think there's... I it's guess, sad when it's sad when like the youtuber you followed in high school is still trying to be like how do you do fellow kids yeah i yeah i think the the youtubers who age the most gracefully are the ones that recognize they are no longer the fellow kid they are the dad and they adopt yes. that into their persona jenna marbles comes to mind mm. and now i'm sad again but i guess all of this the one last note i have in my list is does video game high school hold up in the year of our lord 2023 as someone who wasn't there for it i don't think so yeah i can see that i look at this and i feel like i'm watching i feel like i'm watching like the first tron which i'm just a little too i'm a little too distanced from Mm mm-hmm to really be as passionate about it as the diehard fans of Tron are. It's such an interesting, like, time capsule of, like, how it felt for your, you, the the kid in high school, your interests getting money put behind yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, like, this was, 
This was concocted in a lab to make me love it when I found it in like 2015, 2016. As someone who loved rhythm games, Mm -hmm. as someone who explicitly loved Guitar Hero, already watched Freddy Wong shorts. Mm -hmm. This was perfect for me. And I think there's something that when I watch it, it's that feeling of I wish I could get that back Uh that is predominant. Yeah. And like get that like bright, wide-eyed feeling of post-college back again. I think that's what's really at the forefront because this is to me objectively good. I don't think it's for now. Mm-hmm. But who am I to say when Gen Z is very reminiscent and like very nostalgic for the 2010s? You think we'll get video game college? <laughs> no. Like the like the fans keep asking in the like I I love that every comment section is like too bad we won't get video game I'm college. I'm like, bro, they didn't even finish. They didn't graduate. They got to be juniors and seniors still. I know. It's like, if you really want to put me through the ringer, do video game high school, but they're all teachers. Yeah. Would you go to video game high school? Would I go to video game high school? Would I completely buck a regular curriculum of math and science and literature to just play video games For this incredibly nebulous... (laughs) I... Oh my gosh. I feel like at one point I would have absolutely done done it. I th- I'm pretty sure I would have been, like, one of the three people in the rhythm games. Mm. But you know what? We didn't get cooking class. Like, we didn't get cooking games. Like, there is no cooking mama. Yeah. They're casual What games. other games were not there? Y- yeah. We didn't get... <laughs> we didn't get any visual novels. Mm-hmm. Which, like, you could have you could have made them the nerds. You could have made them, like, the bookish nerds in the library. Yeah. I think... I'll say the other... The one joke i like that actually uses the video game high school concept (laughs) is that they learn like math by like edutainment games yes that was that's such a throwaway joke like they do it real quick in the fps class it's like i can't defuse this bomb until i figure out the square root of 24 yeah and it makes you wonder, is there edutainment games in every class? So, like, are the MMORPG kids doing a different thing? I think that's their core curriculum. But then again, MMOs, you really need to know your maths to calculate. I know. Like, I'm kind of wondering, like, again, there's so much in the world building that could have been explored. But you are only tackling so much. Like, your scope is so small. And things are going to get left behind. Yeah, it feels way more. It feels less like a high school show and more like an esports show which would also be great i think it was just i saw one comment that was like for a show that was supposed to be a satire and i'm like don't tell me we're going to glee video game high school (laughs) yeah where glee was so obviously a satire in the first season and then got way too real i'm not sure that's what video game high school was supposed to be i think it was supposed to be a send-up maybe of like high school shows for teens But not like, I don't think it was trying to say anything about high school or teenage dumb, something like that. I I think it was just supposed to be a fun sitcom taking place in an absurd high school. Until season three and it gets real. (laughs) Until season three and it gets really real. I will say the funniest thing though is that for your teen drinking episode, the beer that you find being on one of those beer bikes. Yeah, it's a barsicle. The barsicle, that was, that's just, that's, that's terrific. I think that's the funniest way you could have done it. Yeah. 
Well, dear listener, but, the the moon is yep. waning, and we are we are getting getting tired of talking about this show. And we can put it behind us now until I inevitably watch it again in ten years. <laughs> that will be a yeah. That'll be a also on one point five. Another decompress for a later time. Fru rewatched video game <laughs> high school and has feelings still. You can listen to me more on my other podcast, the Daydream Cast, where. Every two weeks, we look at a different uh, video game. We've been kind of off for a bit, kind of like this podcast, uh, but we'll be coming back strong mm-hmm. with an episode on Riven, the sequel to Myst. And then more interesting things from there. Check out our YouTube channel. We're uploading some Let's Play stuff. Mm-hmm. And Fru, do you have suggestions or, or ideas for our listeners? Projects? You can find me under your bed. Surprise. Oh, bother. Go, leave, goodbye, have a good piss.